The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In the third chapter of John, Jesus uses the womb, the water, and the wind to explain to Nicodemus what regeneration is all about. Jesus often used natural examples to illustrate spiritual occurrences. By describing regeneration as a new birth, he clearly set forth the fact that man has nothing to do with it. A baby is not born by his own volition, and neither can he prevent his birth by an exercise of his will. Likewise, the water is used in many places as an analogy of the Spirit of God, which operates sovereignly and on his own timetable. Finally, Jesus uses the wind as an example of regeneration and points out the fact that you cannot control the wind, that it blows where it wishes. Today's message is the first half of this sermon, which deals primarily with the womb as an example of regeneration. I believe by the conclusion of this message tomorrow, we will be convinced by Scripture that the new birth occurs apart from the will or the works of the one being born again. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Let us pray. 
Jesus often used natural examples to illustrate spiritual truths. I've had this strong conviction throughout my ministry that the Lord Jesus Christ never played hide the ball. He didn't give us things that were too complicated for us to understand. Whenever we don't understand it, it's not a problem with the example, it's a problem with us. It's not a problem with what Jesus decided to use or chose to use at that time. It's a problem with our understanding of what's going on. He used uh, agrarian examples, farming examples that people would understand in that day. He used uh, examples of uh, seamanship that people would understand in that day. Throughout the Word of God, throughout the New Testament, there are several different terms used for regeneration, to describe regeneration or to characterize it. But here he is talking to a man named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, a rabbi, who, who he, is trying, he is explaining to him uh, about the new birth. And he's using terms that this man would understand to describe the new birth. And I believe he's using terms that we need to understand and that, we, that help us to get what the new birth is all about. So here in the book of John, in the third chapter, let's begin reading in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now here in these eight verses, Jesus uses three terms to describe the new birth. He refers us to the womb, he refers us to water, and he refers us to the wind. And that's what I want to preach on tonight is the womb, the water, and the wind. These three terms are terms that Jesus uh, uh, appropriated and put into place here to describe what we call the new birth or what we call regeneration. And there's a reason he did that. And these terms are very appropriate to describe it. And Nicodemus would have understood these. And you and I need to understand what these terms mean. So first, let's look at them. Let's look at the, 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 the use of the, the womb as an example of the new birth. See, now Jesus, there's a reason, as I said, he picks these terms. It's just like when he says we're dead in trespasses and in sins. You say, you ask the question, how dead are the dead? Well, the dead are all dead. <laughs> the dead are dead all over like the old dog rover, okay? The dead are dead. There's no degrees of deadness. There's, there's no degrees of being dead in trespasses and sins. You either are dead in sins or you are alive in Christ. There's no two places there. And the reason the Lord used that term is because he knew the people of that day and indeed us, we ourselves, ought to understand what dead means. We understand, for example, that when someone's dead, he doesn't need a doctor. When someone's dead, he doesn't need healing. When someone's dead, he needs life. 
He can't. Now, I'm not talking about someone who could be resuscitated. Someone who could still be resuscitated is not fully dead. He can still right. be resuscitated. But a dead man needs a resurrection, not resuscitation. Well, here he uses that same idea in, in telling us uh, what it means to be born again. So first he uses the womb as an example, as a term to describe the new birth. So let's, let's look at that for just a minute. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. The very term means, uh, refers us to the natural birth, does it not? It makes us think of being born in nature. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. By the way, this is not some academic exercise. This means something. Notice what he said. This is a condition precedent to any person seeing, understanding, grasping anything about the kingdom of God. He said, if you're not born again, you can't see it. And that word see doesn't just mean see with the natural eyes because truly the kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. The kingdom of God is within us. You know, he said, my, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my, where my servants would fight, okay? It's a spiritual thing. It's something spiritual that must be grasped. The idea here is that you can't, you know, you know when you get an idea and you say, ah, oh, I see it. You're doing a calculus well, I, I didn't ever get very yeah. far in that. Let's just right. say you're doing an addition problem, okay? That was, about, that was about as good as I could get. An addition problem or division problem, and then you finally see how it's done. You say, I see it. I see it. That's the idea here. In fact, that Greek word there is the, the word that Archimedes, the, the great uh, mathematician in Greece, who was, he was lounging, he was, he was trying to figure out a problem. He was, he was lounging naked in the public baths there and it came to him and he got it and he jumped up and he ran through the streets naked shouting, Eureka, Eureka. Or that literally means I have seen it. I have seen it. I've got it. In other words, that's the word here, you see. So this is a very important practical matter. It's important to understand that this new birth, this being born again is, is a condition precedent to seeing or participating in any way in the kingdom of God. So, let's look at the womb. This idea of being born again referred Nicodemus, at least, to the natural birth, did he not? Nicodemus, the first vision he had in his mind was, so I've got to enter back into my mother's womb and be born? <laughs> so he, he's, you know, Jesus... As I said, he knows what he's doing. He knew this would trigger some images. These word pictures would trigger some images in Nicodemus's mind and make him see some things that were important. So, so obviously Nicodemus was only thinking in natural terms. But let's look at, you know, when Jesus used a natural event to describe or to analogize to a spiritual matter, the natural event had carried some lessons with it. And, and of course, the natural event had to be had to be true. It had to be something that was accurate. Right. And, and because it was, then the spiritual concept could be understood better. So first of all, let's look at this. What about the natural birth? Well, a natural birth happens without any action or will of the child that's being born, does it right. not? <laughs> Isn't that the way it works? What did you do to get born? At what point did you decide... I think I'm going to be born today. Uh, what action was required of you in order for you to come forth from your mother's womb? Of course, the answer to that is clearly nothing. Nothing. 
It's interesting that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 describes the new birth or that one who's been born again as a new creature. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice that use of that term creature. That literally means something that has been created. Something that's been created. Now I want to ask you something. What role did Adam play in the creation of this universe, or this world, or even himself? What role did he play? I think you know the answer to that. He had no role. The new creature spiritually has no more role in his own spiritual creation than Adam had any role in the original creation. If you want to know how much role Adam had or anybody else had in this creation, the physical creation, just go back to Job, the 38th chapter. You know, there was a time in Job's life when he made the statement, I wish God would come on the scene and I just want to lay out my case before him. I want to ask him some questions. I want to ask God some questions. Now, me and God, we got, some, we got some dealings to do. And then when God finally appeared, it was God asking the questions. If I count it right, it's 77 questions that he asked Job that Job couldn't answer. In fact, it was so bad that Job confessed at one point in the middle of God's questioning. He said, you know, I've, I've spoken once, yea, twice, but now I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth. <laughs> I think, I think that uh, that's where you and I would be if God showed up. Where were you? you know, what he asked, he said, where were you, Job, when I laid out this creation? He said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I said, here is as far as you can come, ocean, and no further? Job said nothing. You know why Job said nothing? Because he wasn't there. And he had nothing to do with it. Sometimes we need to be reminded who we really are. Sometimes we forget, don't we? We think, well, you know, me and Jesus, we got a good thing going. <laughs> you know that, that song? Uh, I've always liked the song, but song isn't talking about Armenian doctrine, I promise, but it's actually a pretty decent song. But, but that idea that most people have that it's me and Jesus that, that, uh, that comprise our eternal salvation, beloved, we need to be dissuaded of that idea. Yeah, me and Jesus had a thing going. The thing that we had going was I did all the sinning and he did all the saving. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only relation that I had with Jesus. That's the only work I did with Jesus, if you want to call it. It wasn't working with him, it was working against him. See, the natural birth happens without any action or will on the part of the child being born. Over in the ninth chapter of Romans, Paul clearly sets this forth in talking about the doctrine of election using Jacob and Esau as an example representing the elect of God and the non-elect of God. And he starts out in verse 11 saying, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Now let me just stop you there and say, God is making it plain here what he's talking about. And I don't think I have to ask you to answer this question out loud, but what is he talking about? He's talking about election. <laughs> Because he said, this is the purpose of here. The purpose of God according to election is what I'm talking about right now. 
And then he said, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Speaking here, using Jacob and Esau as a representation of those, uh, those elect children of God that he loved from before the foundation of the world as opposed to the rest of the posterity of Adam that was going along its way to hell justly. By the way, if you ever have a problem with the doctrine of election, you ever have a problem, with, just ask one question. Is there anyone in hell that does not deserve it? Is there any, in fact, let me just dissuade you of any righteousness on your part or my part. We deserve it. That's right. We deserve it. Everyone deserves it. And because God saved some, praise God, he did. And I'll tell you, this is what it's all about right here. Verse 13 or verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. That's the objection that often comes up when talking about the doctrine of election. That is, it just wouldn't be right. Well, first of all, if you're accusing God of unrighteousness, you don't understand the nature of God. God is always righteous. And, and God can do anything He does, whether you understand it or whether you don't. It doesn't matter if you understand the doctrine of election. or If it's in the Scripture and He says He did it, then God did it right. God did it right. But here's the other side of that coin. You're missing the point. If you think God is being unrighteous in, in, in saving his people and choosing his people and saving them from their sins. Because you see, the doctrine of election is not about the wrath of God. No. We're not talking about some kind of double predestination here. Mm -hmm. We only believe in the predestination of God's people to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen. All the others going to hell, they didn't need God's help getting there. We didn't need God's help getting there, but we needed all of God's grace to get us out of there. And notice here what he said. This is what election's all about. Verse 15, he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I realize that among some preachers among us in the past, have preached the doctrine of election in a harsh way, somehow making it into some kind of mean doctrine. I hope you never hear an ounce of harshness or meanness coming from me when I talk about the doctrine of election. Because I want to tell you, it's the sweetest, most compassionate, most glorious, most life-saving, most merciful doctrine that there's ever been. Amen. There's not, a, there's not a, 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 a novel out there about good deeds and good people. There's not, there's not a work of literature out there anywhere. There's not another philosophy of man out there that will touch the doctrine of election. Amen. Because it's about God having compassion and mercy upon Adam's race, which otherwise all would have gone merrily on their way to hell. You know, we're not, we're not reluctantly going on our way to hell. Right. You know, we, you know Adam, uh, Eve didn't just say, oh, well, I guess I really don't want to, but I'll eat the fruit. No, she gladly ate it. And Adam gladly ate it right after her. And from that point forward, we're born sinners and we gladly sin. There is pleasure in sin for a season. And, and, and I'm so sorry to tell you, we all seek it out from time to time. Yeah. And willingly. But God had mercy Oh, I'm so thankful for that. He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now, here's verse 16 is what I really came here for. <laughs> Look at verse 16. We're talking about how the natural birth does not happen 
according to the will of the child being born. He said, so then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Isn't that glorious? See, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, it's a new birth. He knew that would trigger in our minds, oh, okay, so it's kind of like the natural birth. Well, what happens in the natural birth? The child has no part in it other than being born. <laughs> the child has no act or will to exercise in the new birth, in, in, the, old, in the natural birth, and, and it certainly is the same way in the, in the new birth. Okay, another point about the womb is that the natural birth happens without any hindrance from the child being born. You know, we're told in the world today that uh, the Lord is trying, the Holy Spirit is trying to get you born again if you let Him, you know? And that there are those that can hold up this new birth. Now certainly, those who are children of God can resist the Holy Spirit. You know, I've resisted Him unfortunately too often. But we're talking about something different than the child who's already born who is not living the way they ought to live. We're talking about one who is dead in sins, one who has no spiritual wiggle in him, as we've said before. That child can't hinder the birth. The, the natural birth is not hindered by any act of the child. You ever heard of any child that said, to his mother, said, well, you know, I, it's time to be born, but I'm not ready. I refuse to be born. <laughs> you, ever, you, ever, you ever heard of that? That's, that, that's foolishness because it doesn't, there's no such case in the medical histories, okay? Now, now I want to say this, and I want to make sure I thread the needle as best I can here. We are born without our will, but not necessarily against our will. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? Our will plays no part in being born, but, but those that are born are not against the fact that they've been born, if you see what I'm saying. In Psalm 110 and verse 3, we're told, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In other words, when the power of God is exercised in the new birth, His children are willing. I've never run into anybody that came up to me and said, Preacher, i got the worst case of being born again and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I, I never heard anybody say, I know I'm going to heaven. I've got eternal salvation. What can I do to get rid of it? <laughs> no, you don't find that because the child of God is willing. The child of God is made willing by the power of God. That doesn't mean His will is exercised in order to get there, but it means that when He's born apart from His own will, he is made willing in the day of the power of God. Amen. In the sixth chapter of John, this idea here is that no child can hinder his own natural birth, neither can any child of God hinder his own spiritual birth. Notice in the sixth chapter of John, in verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, there's a whole lot of concepts here that need to be broken down. I don't have time for all of them, but let me just say this. First of all, there is a category of people of which every single one of them will be found in this condition. And that category of people is all that the Father gives Jesus. Well, that begs the question of, what well, is God given him a people. Well, the answer is clear from here. God obviously has given His Son a people. 
you know, this is not all that exercise their will or all that do the right things or all that live in the right way. All that the Father giveth me shall. I love that word. I love that word. Shall come to me. And by the way, in case you're worried about it, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now what's he talking about here? I believe here is a reference to this new birth. This new birth. Every single one of God's children that were given to him in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world will come to him in the new birth. They will be born again, you see. And by the way, they won't get unborn. You ever heard of a child being unborn? I hadn't heard of that in a natural sense. It doesn't happen in a spiritual sense either. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.